Hello, and welcome to the Tech Dirt Podcast. I'm Mike Masnick. The world is increasingly technological, so we have better get methodical. Bringing precision to critical digital journalism with the singular vision of the modern monocle. Stopping the copyright police from pulling the wall on us. Painting and taking on all the plates and paint and trolls. Document the ways that they aim to take control. Scrutinizing through their lies and make them fold. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and dig up the tech. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and dig up the tech. Once again, the quick reminders, uh, if you like the podcast, please rate and review it uh, wherever it is that you do those things. I think for most people, that's iTunes, but I'm sure there are lots of other good places as well that you can rate and review podcasts. So uh, we certainly appreciate you spreading the word. So anyway, for the last two years after the CES show in early January, we've had reporter Rob Pecoraro on to discuss some takeaways from the show. Uh, and we're not about to stop a trend from forming. So we've got Rob back again for the third year. You're stuck uh, with me. Yeah, that's right. This is now a tradition. <laughs> um, I've been going to CES, I think, for about a decade. I was trying to count and I've sort of lost track. But Rob's got me beat by quite a bit. I think you're, what, up to 21 CES? Every year since 1998. There we go. <laughs> now, I mostly go for meetings and to attend conference sessions, um, but Rob does the actual reporting stuff <laughs> and visits the many, many, many different show floors. Uh, I think there's like 14 or something now. Um, and each year oh, I insist... Oh, wow, I only got to like half of them. Okay. <laughs> I saw th something saying it was 14. Um, each year I insist that I'm going to view more of the show floor or... I guess, floors. Uh, but once again, I barely had any time to do so again this year. Um, I basically, I think I spent one morning going through the North Hall of what they call Tech East, which is the already massive Las Vegas Convention Center, which also has a Central and a South Hall. Um, and I didn't didn't get to either of those other halls, and I didn't get over to the Sands or the Aria or any of the other areas. So, um now, of course, part of this year's CES uh, was that there seemed to be all sorts of problems that I think would generally be classified as uh, falling under acts of God or, or however. Acts you of a vengeful it. God, I think. <laughs> yes, because first there was uh, rain, lots of it. Uh, Las Vegas doesn't normally get very much of it. Um, and it almost caused me not to be able to get to Vegas because uh, I had uh, flights that were delayed and then changed and then changed again and then delayed again and then canceled and then changed and then delayed. And at one point, uh, JetBlue promised to put me on a bus to get me to Las Vegas. Uh, wow. I, <laughs> I actually would you did, still get those little blue did, uh, did, potato did chip snack things there? Uh, I don't know if they would give out the blue that's, potato chips on the, on, the, on the bus. But uh, anyways, I did eventually get there, but there was an awful lot of rain. Somebody uh, said that it was apparently the most rainfall in a single day since Las Vegas started counting that are keeping records on that. Uh, and then there was the uh, now infamous blackout, <laughs> which was apparently oh, yes. caused by the rain, um, plunging the entire convention center into complete darkness. <laughs> um, and so at one point, uh, the, the actual point where I was trying to get over to the sands, I mentioned I did not get over to the sands. The road in front of the sands was shut down for some reason or another. I don't know what it was. <laughs> I just know I didn't make it. <laughs> that was so, the day I was at the sands. I missed the entire blackout. Instead, oh, okay. I was just dealing with, you know, uh, it will take me an hour to go the uh, mile and a third between the sands and the Las Vegas <laughs> yes. Convention Center. 
Uh, they ran out of food in the press room. <laughs> Always a horrifying uh, yes. scenario at CES. Uh, and, uh, yeah, bandwidth was terrible, of course. My T-Mobile phone had not much connectivity inside that place, and the Wi-Fi was horrible. So much like the prior 20 CESs. <laughs> well, I would at least hope that the, the Wi-Fi and the broadband Let's do the Wi-Fi better. didn't quite exist in 98, yes. so that, that's... That's not well, fair. It's it started right around then, right? I mean, it wasn't that. Yeah, far I off. think I reviewed the first airport base station. Yeah, it was. It was not in this millennium. I think. Right. I don't. Yeah. I'm pretty gonna have sure. To look that up. Pretty sure. Citation needed. Yes. <laughs> Anyways, <coughs> excuse me, uh, Rob. Uh, welcome back to the podcast. Um, so. Um, yeah, so so that so one of the things that I thought was interesting was that those things seem to be the story of the CES as opposed to anything actually on display. Uh, and and normally it feels like there's some sort of like you know big technology that sort of dominates CES. I mean, last year it was the the Amazon Alexa and everybody sort of trying to integrate with it. And and this year to me at least, I felt like there there wasn't like a major story other than like <laughs> everything is breaking. <laughs> My read of it actually was more of voice as your smart home interface. Okay. I mean, last year I was totally bowled over by how many devices any rated Amazon Alexa. This year it was more of that and more diverse devices from a uh, like a Kohler <laughs> illuminated beauty mirror that has Alexa right. built in because reasons. Uh, <laughs> you know, Toyota's putting it in cars. Uh, then the fact that Google felt so threatened by that, that it set up its own exhibit at CES, which it hasn't done. That's yes. uh, probably gone back like 15 years or so. And, and, and that, that exhibit got rained out. <laughs> right. You know, well, they, who, they, they literally had a tent in the parking lot of yes. the LVCC, <laughs> AKA central plaza. And, yes. uh, you know, guess it was a mistake to build it out of paper mache. I don't quite know what the <laughs> engineering was there. And Apple, you know, they didn't have an exhibit. That that Apple part of Apple would have to die for that to take place. Right. But I did get an unsolicited email from Apple PR saying, "Check out the HomeKit exhibitors." Hmm. But uh, you know, my take on Apple's presence at CES would be Siri. Who? They <laughs> yeah. have this issue where they have their, you know, voice controlled personal assistant, and it is locked inside Apple hardware, and so they can't even begin to compete with an. An Amazon or, or a Google who will let anyone and everyone build in Alexa or Google Assistant, even if it's on a device that has no business having like a personal right. assistant app integrated in it. I mean, that that kind of makes me wonder, though. I mean, right, because a, a lot of the examples that I saw and that, that you saw or I heard about were all these kinds of things where almost the universal reaction to it was like, well, but, but why? Right. Yeah, it's... What's that Jeff Goldblum <laughs> quote from Jurassic Park? Your scientists were so busy thinking about what they could do, they didn't stop right. thinking about what they should do. Yeah, yeah, and it's part of it is it's a tackiness issue. You know, why do you need this right. Alexa in the bathroom? No, no. But also, when you have these platforms built into household appliances, major appliances that have a service life that had better be at least fifteen years, you know, there there is no real precedent, you know, outside of NASA, I guess, right. or the Defense Department for maintaining software support for a device for that long, much less on a consumer scale. Yeah. You know, and companies are talking a good game. Samsung says they're building their, their Knox smartphone security technology into all their connected home appliances. But still, 
15-year software support cycle. That just doesn't happen. And I guess the longest example is Windows XP. Actually, that's sort of embarrassing because yeah. Microsoft kept doing security updates for that through 2014, I think, I to the end of 2015. So that's 13 or 14 years of security patches. Yeah. And and by the end, they were... <laughs> yeah, it, it, you couldn't make XP not be XP and therefore right. secure, so who cares? Right. Yeah. Yeah, that does raise issues of, yeah, what what happens when someone is hacking into your... And of course, your... I should note, on, on the flight over to one of my flights over to Vegas, I was watching the Silicon Valley episode where, you know, their data is saved because of all these smart refrigerators <laughs> that, that had been hacked to run Pied Piper's code. <laughs> Right, and so the, the 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 data had gone from the cloud to the fridge, and it was it was fine <laughs> for the company, not the fridge owners. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So we may end up with life imitating uh, parody. I guess people keep the, you, you wrote this. People think Silicon Valley is like a how to, not yes. a, a cautionary tale for the Silicon Valley, the real yeah. one. Yeah, yeah. That that's. Uh, that's an issue that that does disturb me. <laughs> how many people now seem to think that that is yes the how to manual for Silicon Valley uh, as opposed to a big red flashing <laughs> warning sign. <laughs> um, so, but you know, I, I, it it is it is interesting. You know, I, and I guess I, to some extent, I did get that feeling as well. Like, and, and to me, that still feels like not as big a deal as as kind of last year. Where last year, you know. There were all these things that were integrating into Amazon Alexa, but it felt like, you know, the story to me was like it was Amazon Alexa sort of announcing its arrival as sort of the dominant player in sort of the connected home space and, and had almost sort of, you know, done that in a very sneaky way and just sort of popped up. when. Oh, literally. I thought of the review know. I did of the uh, Echo when it first came out where I had fun, you know, trying to stump Alexa with – you know, smart ass questions that she should right. have known. I'm like, oh, ha, ha, ha. this this Bluetooth speaker is not that smart after all. <laughs> right. At the time, obviously, there was some whiteboard illustration where Jeff Bezos had furiously marked it up, explaining this was their their project for worldwide smart home domination. Right, and which you know has been relatively successful. And and yeah, I, I think there is something to the story of this year being like. Google basically trying to to catch up. I mean, you you could not go anywhere without sort of seeing Google sponsorship and branding everywhere, and, and they were really yeah they, they to... slapped their advertising on each side of the Vegas monorail, so you couldn't yes. miss it. Yes, both well, both on the outside. <laughs> yes, well, both on the outside and the inside because I rode the monorail, and the entire inside of the monorail was branded as Google. Also, <laughs> so nice. You you could not avoid it, but then just you know all over the place um, they were. Um, they were pushing it. So, so, you know, the story there was them sort of trying to, to, you know, climb back up next to the Amazon Alexa, I think, but, but it felt like, you know, most of the, the things and products that were coming out, like there, it didn't feel like there was anything. I mean, again, you know, you could be wrong and just like, you know, uh, both of ours, probably initial reaction to the, to the Amazon Echo, you know, they, they kind of feel silly. So, so like, I, I guess I was surprised. I was expecting, you know, a, a more, a stronger theme to emerge from from CES. A lot uh, of the areas, it's you know these are pretty established product categories. Like I spend a lot of time looking at TVs, uh-huh. and my favorite, but which mean also often the least honest CES demos, where you have two TVs <laughs> side by side. Right. One of them is it has this year's thing, 
whatever it is. It could be right. resolution, your, your quantum nano dot, whatever it is, right. uh, special image processing. And sometimes it's obvious. You can see, okay, there's less banding on the one on the right. That's nice. Right. There are a couple of times I'm like, you know, left, <laughs> right. Uh, okay, the, the foliage by the waterfall is a little more, <laughs> the color's a little more punchy on the right. I'm like, how much are you going to charge extra for this? And, of course, they can't right. tell because no one ever has a price or a ship date for anything at CES. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. It does feel like, you know, especially with, with TVs, which is always sort of like a big part of, of CES, that it sort of has reached the limits of human perception within that form factor, at least. Right? A guy at Sharp was making a serious case for 8K TV because all y'all <laughs> with 4K TVs, I'm sorry, you suck. Uh, but right. like, no, no one needs an 8K TV. Maybe if you have an 85-inch screen, but there's no business baking that into a, a standard that everyone else needs, uh, much less shoehorning that into the airwaves. You know, if, right? <laughs> no, yeah. yeah. I mean, 4K itself. Uh, the TV I could plausibly fit into the living room of our 1920 bungalow, <laughs> right. 50 inches tops. So I, I can't. I'm not going to be able to see 4K from the couch. Certainly not with my eyes. Yeah. So, no, guys, find something <laughs> else to work on, please. Yeah, yeah, I wonder about that. Um, I mean, the other thing that I saw that that maybe was was partially a theme that showed up a, a bunch at CES was sort of uh, autonomous vehicles, you know, self driving cars. Yes. Um, that that seemed to be, you know, th- there was definitely a, a fair bit of talk about that. What, what did, did you get see? to drive the the self the self, drive get a ride in the self driving <laughs> lift that was uh, running around? I, I did not. I did not. Me neither. Yeah. That it was it was very difficult to get on the the actual list of of getting a ride from it. So I, I did not. Yeah. The, the only reliable you know method of transportation I had available to me, aside from like one time I got a. a human-driven lift at, like, 7.30 in the morning, was walking. Mm-hmm. Everything else, yes. forget it. Just Well, that's that's become pretty standard at CES. Again, for, for people who yeah. haven't been, you know, there's, like, over 170,000 attendees. Um, and uh, according to, to Gary Shapiro, who runs CTA, which is the organization that puts on C- CES, um, CES is now, well, he said, the largest business-focused conference in the world. Um, I don't know. Uh, I think he's carving out an exception for IFA, the Electronics Trade Show in Berlin. They sell okay. tickets to the general public, which pushes IFA's attendance past 200,000. Interesting. I was trying to figure out what the – because he had that little caveat, business-focused. But And, you know, IFA doesn't have horrible traffic because you know what Berlin has that Las Vegas doesn't? An effective, <laughs> widespread, reliable subway system. Yes, yes. The the uh, I forget what it's called. The U-Bahn or the whatever. U-Bahn and the U-Bahn and the S-Bahn, which is right. you know, the same fair price. Uh, if you ever want to do a transit podcast, I'm I'm here for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I might. So, <laughs> um, but but uh, yes, no, that's that's okay. So that's interesting. But uh, the fact is that this is a, an awful lot of people who descend on Las Vegas, and 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 it doesn't uh, have the infrastructure to, to get that many people to basically two places: the LVCC and the Sands. Right, and and you throw in the most rain that Las Vegas has ever gotten in a day, and it gets even worse. <laughs> yeah, um, and so um, yes, it it it. I tend to also find that uh, I I do the walk between the LVCC and the Sands every. This year I did not, but but most years I end up doing that once or twice, just because it's really the the quickest way to get around. Um, yeah, no getting around that. that. As, as, as that seems, but yes, this year they there there was Lyft had self driving 
cars going around that would take you around if you could get onto the magical list um, and not that many people were able to. I don't even know how many of those cars they they had. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah. The, the one interesting self-driving vehicle, I can't say it was a demo because it wasn't moving, mm-hmm. was the uh, Volocopter 2X that yes, Intel showed off in the up. keynote. Yeah. I couldn't get to because some genius decided, so for the listeners, Monday isn't even opening day of CES. It's press conference right. day the day before. The press conferences are at Mandalay Bay, all the way at the south end of the Strip. Uh, most of the evening events are at the Venetian. Sony has a press conference in the LVCC. Uh, the keynote that's supposed to be the most important event of that day was at the Monte Carlo, which is in between oh, all of these places. Right. So that was never going to happen. So, yeah, let, let's – flying so, car, self, yes. self-flown. It's the perfect <laughs> solution to CES traffic. Yes, yes. Well, and and I actually saw because in uh, so-called Central Plaza, they had that uh, on display, um, and there were there were two different ones actually. So two different companies were offering or or presenting, um, you know, basically. Which well, is the other one? See, I, 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 for, I forget what the brand is. I took a picture of it, and and if I get a chance, I'll see if I can pull it up as I'm talking to you. But um, there were there were two of these, and I would basically describe them as, you know, human-sized drones, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, Self-loading they, cargo. Yeah. They, they, they look like drones, um, but you could sit in them um, and then fly. And, and, you know, I mean, like, I forget if it was one or – it was two years ago, right, that there was like the E-Hang, which was the same. The E-Hang is still out there. Yeah, they've had test flights to Dubai. That was a single passenger one. Right. Uh, the Volocopter is a two-passenger one, which I actually did get to sit in. They had a press event Wednesday morning. That was why uh-huh. I was in a in a car at 7.30 a.m. to get over to the convention center. <laughs> Sits yeah. two, decent amount of legroom, almost no room to put anything. Basically, it's you know your standard-looking helicopter. I mean, I guess I've never been in a real helicopter. Uh, standard-issue helicopter can be. There's a little instrument panel, and the space between that and the nose is where you could put like a backpack, a messenger bag, a briefcase, a right. laptop bag. That's about it. And the idea is it would be... It actually seems pretty well optimized for CES itself. The maximum flight time is 17 miles, oh, I wow. think. Um, huh. Not that fast. I think design's cruise speed of 43 miles an hour. So if the alternative is just crawling in traffic, great. Right. Uh, but right. if you have, like, a reliable train service, no. Uh, if you have free-flowing traffic, no. Right. And, you know, if you can't afford the equivalent of Uber Black, which is what they hope for this thing to cost on a per-ride basis, this is also not for you. Right. So I found the picture of the other one, which was parked right next to the uh, Volocopter, which is called the Shorefly. Um, and I don't know anything about it. <laughs> I just took a picture yeah. of it. And it looks it looks a little bigger than the Volocopter in terms of inside. But otherwise, it you know, it's the same basic structure. It's sort of a, a cross between a helicopter and a drone. <laughs> um, and... Uh, yeah, so so I'm doing a quick Google search, which is not the best way to do this. Since yeah, we're talking like, about it live. This is but. the weird thing about CES. Like, I'll compare notes to somebody, and I mean, I should have physically run into this other thing, but I didn't. Yeah. Well, again, you know, 14 show floors, and and this yeah. is this was out in the parking lot, uh, you know, uh, which where I was. <laughs> I mean, it was <laughs> I cut through there three or four times. Yeah. Must well, have it's blitz right it, by it. 
Yeah, it was right next to the Volocopter. Like, literally, uh, you could take a picture of both of them together would if have you really angled it right. Maybe not run into it. I should have backed into it at some point. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I mean, interesting that people are, are still trying these, you know, uh, you know, I don't know if they're ever going to become seriously practical. Um, yeah. And then, well, it's like everyone wants to have some magic technological solution to traffic. If it's not this, it's the um, the Hyperloop. Right. Or the, they did self-driving cars will will magically fix traffic. Well, <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, you, at a certain right. point, if it's one person per car, you cannot fit any more on the roads. And CES is your perfect demonstration of that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, who knows? Who knows? Um, it, it does feel like – yeah. I mean, there was, a, there was a lot of talk. I mean, I also saw the um, self-driving delivery vehicles. There was the yeah, – Yeah, Toyota had one. Yeah, Toyota had one, and the one I, I the pizza delivery one was a Ford. I don't know if you saw that. Oh yeah, yeah, Domino's. <laughs> which that, that's not going to make me order Domino's. Sorry, guys. Right, right. Uh, there was actually one you may be able to try in Eureka Park, which is the the weird startups area in the basement of the Sands. Yes, uh, it was called RoboMart, and the idea think of like a van sized self driving vehicle, but basically it's a refrigerator case on wheels. So ah. what they want to do is grocery delivery, and they, they want to. The, the founder cited produce as their sort of first market because there's so much more value judgment attached to looking at head of lettuce versus <laughs> saying that came out of a factory, it's sealed in a can or a jar or in a box, and they're all identical. Right. Uh, so, yeah, they're, they're a Bay Area startup. You could have one roll up to your driveway in the next year or two or not. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, we'll see. I mean, right by my office we have those um... – uh, in, in Redwood City is where they've been testing out those little uh, little robot delivery. The Starship robots? Yeah. Yep. They've been, they've been doing that for like over a year now. And like they're so common, basically, every time I go out to lunch, I'll, I'll see one. So I've gotten sort of, you know, tired of seeing them. Um, <laughs> but, but I know like every time like I'll meet someone for lunch in Redwood City or something, and they're always like, oh, I just saw a little robot go by. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I think they just started testing them in D.C. actually. Yeah. Yeah. Like um, I remember last year at the Washington Auto Show, they had one set up on the floor and was scooting back and forth a little bit. Uh, they're not in my neighborhood yet. Uh, yeah. I, I hope to make some well, use of them at some point. Yeah, I mean the thing that I've noticed at least here in Redwood City is they don't they don't travel by themselves. There's always somebody walking uh, a little bit behind them, pretending not to be with it. <laughs> Isn't that like when cars were first? Uh, there was some law yes. that said a car needs a flagger to proceed. In. Yes, and they would have to walk in front and and warn off people that the car was coming behind that's them. The yes, job opportunity of the future. So that's that's basically uh, the very first time I saw one of these, and I tried to engage with the guy who was walking behind it, and he wouldn't acknowledge <laughs> that he was with the robot. <laughs> and I was like, come on. <laughs> he just started speaking some nonsense and then walked off. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it is very, very strange. And so I, I'm, I'm, I'm not all that optimistic that those things are really uh, fully autonomous in any real <laughs> way um, because of the, the people walking behind them at all, all times. Um, and then of course there's the famous story of the, uh, the hitchhiking robot. Uh, did, did you hear about this? No. This hitchhiking. Last year, or maybe two years ago, these people, it, it was barely a robot. I mean, people sort of uh, put together some trash to make it sort of look like a robot and stuck a, 
an iPad in the middle and they originally dropped it off in Europe and were basically like, I'm hitchhiking. Like they put a little message on the, <laughs> on the iPad basically saying I'm hitchhiking across Europe and went all the way across Europe. Um, just people would pick it up, drive it, drop it off and, you know, it would indicate on GPS and, you know, alert the webpage, whatever, where it was. And then they brought it to the U S and it started in New York and it got all the way to, and didn't uh, get like stripped for parts in Philadelphia. Yeah. <laughs> in Philadelphia, they like beat it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they, they, they destroyed it. So it made it, you know, whatever the distance from from New York to Philadelphia, which is what like a hundred and something miles. <laughs> yeah, yeah, hundred change. <laughs> and that was about it. Um, and so, yeah, so I do wonder if they're afraid that that these robots will get destroyed if they were to to actually wander uh, U.S. cities alone. <laughs> well, obviously, it's not going to be safe for robots to deliver groceries until robots are there to receive them. We just need to get humans out of yes. the loop. It's yeah. unpredictable. Yeah. Um, so shifting gears a little bit on, on CES stuff um, to the stuff that I tend to focus on, which is like policy-related stuff. Same. Um uh, well, yes, I know you do as well. So, but but uh, you uh, managed to accomplish both, like actually looking at the gadgets and the policy stuff. <laughs> yeah, I, I just you know don't sleep for a week and then have to nap for thirty six hours straight. Yeah, I mean, I end up doing the same, so I'm not quite sure how you're much more efficient at this than I am. Um, but uh, as I'm also always... enormously rude at CES. So. <laughs> yeah, well, I know we had an appointment. Whatever. <laughs> Right. Yes. Well, yeah, I was explaining to a friend of mine who was a, a CES first timer, like, you know, CES time means that you'll be late for everything. You will miss meetings and you just kind of everyone kind of accepts it. Yeah. Um, because it's it's impossible to actually, you know, keep keep proper time. Um, but uh, as always, the, there's like uh, FCC stuff is is usually a big deal. Uh, and this year. That is absolutely true because of the whole yep. like, net neutrality stuff. Um, normally, uh, most, if not all, of the FCC commissioners make it. They usually have like an FCC roundtable. Uh, this year, um, the chair, uh, Ajit Pai, did not make it. Um, he claimed it was because they were receiving death threats, um, which is sad. <laughs> I, My editorial I, comment, what the hell is wrong with people? Like, yeah, it, it's... I guess the internet makes people feel empowered to issue random death threats to people they don't like. Yeah. Shut up. Just how about set your computer on fire the next time you want to do that? It would really yeah. I mean the the carbon footprint's not great, but it would be better <laughs> all around if you would do that yeah. rather than yeah. issue death threats to people you don't like. And and you know, like I, I certainly disagree with his policy decisions here, but um I think that is crazy and unfortunate. Um and so he did not arrive, and even though he did not come, uh, security was still um, fairly insane, I think, for the FCC panel. I don't know if you made it to the FCC round I did table. not get to that one. I mean, security was kind of in – it was insane and also, you know, completely didn't work in practice because you have 175,000 people. Yes. So, um, yeah, my bag got a cursory inspection about half the time I, I walked in there. Yeah. Um, and so that, yeah. yeah. So 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 getting into the general conference center, there were there were sort of yeah semi random bag checks basically. I mean they had security and they were sort of checking things, but um, it was pretty easy to just walk by without getting flagged for a check. But to get into the FCC roundtable, um, everyone had to line up and go through metal detectors, um, have their bags searched very thoroughly. 
Um, wow. I like literally open every pocket. They had to check everything that was in my bag. Uh, then they had somebody with a wand to go over you, even though you'd already gone through the metal detector. You also had to get uh, go through a wand. Then they had police with dogs sniffing everyone and walking around the room. Um, and so... They were not taking any chances on the FCC part of the uh, show. That Um, reminds me of the online harassment summit at South by Southwest, like, I guess, two years ago. Same sort of deal. Although the most effective security with that was they had it at the Hyatt Regency on the other side of the river from downtown. (laughs) So (laughs) not many people made it there. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yes, that's a South by thing. (laughs) There's always something over there that you want to go to that nobody ever goes to. Yep, South by Southwest time is almost as bad as CES time. (laughs) Yes, yeah, that's that's another one. Um, But yeah, and and, um, you know, I mean, I I think there was definitely a lot of talk about about net neutrality. um, And, you know, at at least to me, and I don't know what what you saw or heard, but, um, you know, it it felt fairly superficial. I mean, I guess this is a debate that's gone on for a really long time. Um, and I, nobody was going to, you know, bring up something new or change anyone's mind at CES. Um, but you know, the, it, it, it came up on a, on a few, other, it certainly, you know, was discussed on the FCC panel, um, which had, you know, three of the commissioners, two of which yep. were, um, you know, for removing the rules and car and O'Reilly. Uh, yes. Car and O'Reilly. Um, and then uh, on the other side was Minion Cli- uh, Clyborn. Clyborn, uh, yeah. Yeah, and um, who is, you know, a vocal supporter of net neutrality um, and not afraid to speak her mind <laughs> and to yep. make fun of her fellow commissioners. Um, and so, I mean, that was entertaining, but it, it didn't feel like there was any, um, you know, any sort of major new ground broken. And, of course, without Pi there, um, you know, he didn't get to sort of say his piece. Um but, you know, it, it certainly popped up on other panels as well. There wasn't, I, I, I did not make it to the, um, there was sort of a, I guess, a fireside chat between the, uh, I guess, acting head of the FTC and Gary uh, Spiro. Yeah, I didn't get to that either because CES. That was the yes. one where it was supposed <laughs> to be a Marine Olhausen and Ajit Pai. And... Right. And Pai did not make it. Yeah, um, it would have been good to get to because one thing, you know, people talk under Pi's, you know, not proposed, but now, you know, voted for yes. scrapping of net neutrality rules, the FTC would would act on complaints. But one right. thing I haven't seen is, you know, are they going to be able to do this faster? Because you look at, like, just, I think, two, three weeks ago, they came out with a settlement uh, with Lenovo for right. the Superfish adware they had on some laptops. Uh, and that was something that started in, like, 2014. I'm pretty sure I'd written about it by 2015. So there's some latency in FTC enforcement actions, yes, which ain't going to help a startup that is getting, uh, you know, held up for, you know, paid priority fees by a, a, an ISP yes. with a local monopoly. Yeah, yeah. No, the the FTC is sort of notoriously slow and and notoriously limited. I mean, it's a, it is not an, a very large agency. It's a decent sized agency, and and it can only handle so many things. Um, and there's currently a lawsuit going on that we've written about a few times. The that AT&T we, one, right? The AT&T one, which yep. would basically strip the FTC's authority over any sort of, you know, broadband slash telco provider, um, which, which would limit things. And, you know, part of, you know, at the, um, at that, uh, that, I guess, keynote chat or whatever it was, you know, they announced, you know, one thing was that they were, they had, uh, 
um, gone after this revenge porn site, which again was something that had gone on for many, many years before the FTC was able to act. That's it's just sort of part of the process of the FTC is that they they take a lot of time, and they can be very effective. And and you know I tend to think that the FTC actually does a pretty good job, um, you know, when they go after someone. For, no, the for the twenty year settlement with Facebook, people sort of forget that you know. When people throw around the the conspiracy theory that oh the Facebook app is obviously listening to what I say, like right. first of all that's insane. Someone would catch it. Second yes. of all, like they would get destroyed by the FTC because they're already yes. under a twenty year monitoring regime. That, that that's not a box you can get out of with good lawyering or a good lobbyist. Yeah. Yeah, no, there's there's a lot of stuff that I mean now, but basically, like every tech company is under a twenty year regime because they've all. Yeah, it's, it's like a right. It's like <laughs> yes. going to your bar mitzvah, like, getting your driver's license, getting your <laughs> FTC twenty year. <laughs> yes, monitoring. Yeah, uh, you know, but um, it, it is interesting to see sort of like I think there is now this recognition that like I guess the other sort of big theme that that I heard a lot of was you know that we've sort of crossed. Um, crushed into this world where tech had been admired for 20 years or so and now suddenly tech is not admired and and that's an exaggerated narrative um but it's a narrative that has certainly come into play where like now suddenly people are very um angsty (laughs) uh, about about tech and you know especially the big tech firms facebook google uh, apple amazon for the most part um and you know there are concerns about you know well, there are concerns about whether how how true that narrative is and whether or not things should be done. And, and there are arguments that people are making against those companies, you know, on sort of both sides of the political aisle, which is which is sort of an interesting situation where for very, very different reasons, there's sort of, you know, bipartisan attacks um, on these companies. Um, you know, what those people want the companies to do is often not entirely clear. <laughs> I think in some sense, a lot of them just want those companies to be punished for something <laughs> um, yeah th- there's general resentment and some of this you know when when you ask that companies come up with some way to to stop online abuse you know yeah it's true that a lot of systems like twitter th- th- they're set up with a sort of framework and a grammar that makes it easy for these things to happen and because these companies were mostly set up by white dudes out of college they had no concept for the fact that you know, yeah, if you express an unpopular opinion and you are not a white male, things can be really different for you, not in a good way. But then you get this, can't you stop fake news? That could be like, why can't you stop uh, copyright infringement? We're nerd harder guys. Where's your magic bullet? (laughs) Don't you have something in the labs for this? Yeah. Uh, I guess what's different here though is big tech is just doing such a bad job of explaining itself sometimes. They're they're like, we just really want to change the world. You know, we're just... um, you know, trust us, we, we would never do something to allow this blah, 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 blah. It's a lot of hand-waving, and it's not super convincing. And I don't know. So I'm thinking about this in the Washington Post this morning. There's a great story in the front page about the amount of data that cars collect. Yeah. And one of these companies is Honda. And there's, I guess, now some clause you sign into when you sign a lease for Honda. I don't know. I haven't, it's been a while since I bought huh. a new car. Saying, you know, are you okay with this? The reporter asks Honda, like, what are you doing with this data? And after repeated inquiries... Honda, like not even a tech company, a car company that has to deal with regulators around the world, we have no comment at this time. What? Some PR person should be be fired for that. Like you have to be able to speak to your customers like grown-ups, say, what is it we're doing with your data? This is is how we make money. Some of them can, but a lot of them don't. And, you know, 
no, guys, this is not how it works. And forget in the U.S., you know, a lot of these privacy issues in the European Union, I think a lot of companies are going to get hit with some very expensive fines in May with the yeah. general data protection regulation. You yes. know, the sort of sweeping privacy bill that we're incapable of doing here because Congress can't actually pass laws about tech policy. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, no, and, and that, you know, that was, there were certainly some discussions on that as well. That's the, the GDPR and sort of, um, you know, which is going to lead to a, a probably an awful lot of uh, lawsuits in Europe attacking U.S. company privacy policies and, and you know, how they handle data, um, you know, and, and some for probably good reasons and some maybe not for good reasons. Some of the, the parts of the GDPR are a little bit scary and a little bit sketchy. Some of them are, are reasonable. And I don't think that most American tech companies have really put much thought into it. Yeah, um, you know, me either. <laughs> uh, you know, some of the larger ones maybe, but I still feel like they're all going to get, they're going to get hit hard. Um, and I'm not sure they're prepared for that. Um, and so that'll be interesting. I mean, there's definitely a sense of like, you know, there is a lot more beyond the GDPR even. There's there's definitely a lot more sort of European crackdown on American tech companies. There's, you know, the whole issue in Germany now where they have this like hate speech rule that, that requires companies to take down content or be fined like some huge amount of money that could even be brought towards employees who, you know, make decisions oh, whether to keep well, that, that's up nice. Or not. Yeah. So you could, so as an employee, like a trust and safety employee, if you make the wrong decision, you could face a five million euro fine <laughs> uh, are you going to start geo-blocking your eu readers uh, just to be safe it's I, I mean it you know you you suddenly have to start thinking about these things um which is you know kind of ridiculous um but it's you know there so there are all sorts of things where um you know kind of the the, the jurisdiction questions around the internet itself um are, are making things more challenging and i think it's something that the companies are only just beginning to to grapple with um, and, and that was something that was, that was certainly discussed a bit, um, at the conference as well. Um, the one other sort of policy topic that I saw talked about was like this whole, the whole future of work question. Um, and sort of what does that mean? You know, for the most part, the discussion that I saw at CES was really about like worker training. Um, there was a panel that had basically a lot of big companies It had Walmart and Amazon and Toyota, um, talking about, you know, what are they going to, you know, how are, how are they sort of preparing people and workers for the jobs of the future, um, which was... Okay, so, so not in the context of full-time versus freelancing self-employment. Right. Okay. Yeah, so they didn't get to that. There was another panel that I saw that was on, like, you know, the, the sort of sharing or gig economy or whatever you want to call it, um, which was also kind of interesting and certainly touched on these topics as well. Um, but not as much. I mean, they were more just, I think that panel, I think was a little bit more generally towards, um, <laughs> I think I would, I would position that panel as, uh, a response to everyone hates tech. Um, <laughs> because basically they were just like, look at all these wonderful things that you can now do <laughs> because Lyft can take you places and Yelp can tell you, you know, which places are good. <laughs> and like, you should be happy people. <laughs> Um, it was, it, I mean, it was interesting and it was good and, and there was value in that, but it was a lot of that panel was sort of positioned as, um, you know, Hey, we're doing useful things here. Please don't hate us. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, yeah. Uber, especially they're, um, 
you know, they have gotten better. I think really the best thing they've done just for drivers is adding a damn tip function because without it, yes. you are, you know, what's the phrase? Alienated from the means of your, from your, the fruit of your own labor. You yes. know, if, if you're this cog in this, not, not ride sharing, ride hailing machine where even yeah. if, if I give a driver a great rating, they, they get no bonus in the app. The, the system doesn't say, okay, well, send this person to this driver they had before. So now right. I can finally just pay the person extra when they did a good job. Yeah. Well, I saw – so there was um, – uh, on, on Wednesday night, there was a um, – the one of the founders of Lyft, um, they have the, this, like, leaders in technology dinner, and um, John Zimmer, who's one of oh, the yeah. co-founders of it Lyft. It was called Zimride at first, was it? Yes. Not? Yep. Uh, it, it was. And, and he told a f- funny story about that because he did not – He so it was him and uh, the other guy's name is Logan. Um, and Logan was the guy who founded uh, this organization called Zimride, which was the original name of Lyft, which was based on his experience looking at how, like, travel was handled in Zimbabwe. So it was originally – What, really? Named, <laughs> yes. So yes. You, you paid with an endlessly inflated inflationary currency? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that was the idea. But the, the idea was, like, he had seen some interesting – uh, you know, sort of ride-sharing effectively ideas in Zimbabwe. And so then he came back to the U.S. and named it Zimride. And then um, uh, this this other guy, John Zimmer, came across it, I think, through like they had like mutual friends in common and saw something on Facebook. Uh, and, and they were both really interested in sort of transportation questions and, and sustainability questions. And so he said he, he like reached out to... to uh, John Zimmer reached out to this Logan and I'm blanking on Logan's last name um, and said like, are you kidding me? Like, how are you naming this Zimride? My name is John Zimmer. <laughs> like, I need to be a part of this. And and that's actually how they got together uh, and oh, they wow. you know, built up Zimride and then they, they sort of created this offshoot of Zimride, which became Lyft and then very quickly Lyft, you know, ate up Zimride and Zimride disappeared. Um, but it, it was it was actually a really, really interesting discussion and um, he was he's incredibly um, thoughtful and and has a you know, really interesting perspective on sort of um, you know on on riding and on you know transportation and um, you know it was interesting you know a, a comment that someone whispered to me in the and and I won't out this person but in the middle <laughs> of the uh, uh, of the talk was uh, that. John is basically the anti-Travis, <laughs> which Travis being the founder Travis and ex, ex-CEO of Uber, uh, who has been pushed out and certainly had a reputation for, um, uh, you know, taking shortcuts wherever possible and uh, ignoring the law wherever possible, I think. Um, whereas um, it really felt like, you know, John Zimmer and, and I imagine much of the Lyft team, you know, appears to be very, very thoughtful about how they approach these things. It was very interesting. Yeah. Of course, um, I don't know, you know, without Uber throwing its weight around, would the taxi cartel might still run Las yep. Vegas. Yeah. With their yeah. stupid $3 credit card surcharge. That's why I will <laughs> never get a taxi in Vegas again as long as that's in place. I, I, I still don't understand why people take taxis in Las Vegas now that Lyft and Uber actually are available um, just because. And there were huge long taxi lines. Yeah. Um, I mean, there were huge long waits for Lyfts and Ubers also. But, um, you know, it, it was sort of interesting to see. But, um, but yeah, I mean, that, you know, so the, the conversation, I, I was actually, I thought, um, Zimmer's talk was really, really interesting just in terms of the vision that he has for 
where where and how transportation especially urban transportation even though they you know he was they proudly talked about how they reached 98% of Americans at this point um but um you know i it, it was actually you know there there were some some good and interesting things that that came out of it and even talked about like you know if they do move to an all like you know or autonomous vehicles become very common he actually expects yeah and who knows how true this is but he expects that they would employ more drivers um even if autonomous vehicles became very common hmm. um and so he had this sort of mathematical argument for that which was basically like somewhere less than 2% of all rides in America are now are through you know ride hailing and you know it should be up closer to like 50% and if you get to that you know you could still have you know some portion of it where people would want to have a human driver and therefore you would still need to employ more drivers and something like that the math there, there really is an art to you know the good luber if <laughs> drivers who can just maintain this report talk about what's going on like you know good taxi drivers have always had that skill but i guess you know sure. the, the reward is more direct i guess in a yeah. lyft or an uber like if, yeah. if you're not an extrovert i can imagine this this not being <laughs> that might not be the thing for you yes yeah, yeah. Well, it depends. I mean, and uh, part of his his arguments that you could do. I mean, you can basically cater to different experiences for different things that people want. Um, you know, and sometimes people want to talk to someone. Sometimes they don't. So uh, I know a lot of conversational robots on display too. So you know, yeah. watch out for those jobs too. Yeah, yeah. I guess I guess that's that's true also. Um, so I don't know what what else. What else did you see that, that you think is worth mentioning before we close out this podcast? Yeah, so other stuff there. Um, you know, the the general state of smart home security. I mentioned this a little bit before, but I want to sort of come back to that because it is such a mess. I spent about an hour or so Thursday, Wednesday morning walking around the sands with the CEO of a security company from D.C. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we would just ask questions of these companies. We picked like four or five ones, a couple of them which were name brand, two of them were startups. And, you know, there were two developers with this app, uh, Streety, which lets neighbors share footage of security cameras. Interesting concept. Mm. And they, they talked in a little detail about, you know, yeah, we, we, we do a one-time. We use, you know, OAuth to ensure you can have temporary sharing that, that ends when it's supposed to end. We encrypt the transmission of shared video. But once we got into stuff like, so have you hired any pen testers? Do you have your red team this? Then they sort of shut down, and the other companies had nothing good to say. And it's huh. like you have to, you know, maybe you don't need to have a 50-page PDF like Apple has with iOS security, but you, you need to have this somewhere. You, you can't. Yeah. If the search of your the the uh, smart home startup site for security returns nothing, <laughs> that's right. not good. Uh, and yeah. it's like th- this is not a new theme. I, I thought that story would be harder to do, but instead it was like, I'm just going to keep taking notes. Keep talking yeah. and not answering our question, please. Uh, so that was interesting. Um, yeah. Otherwise, the um, yeah, it's, it's a lot of incremental change. You know, it's <laughs> yeah. I, I sometimes ask, like, why do I keep doing this? Well, you know, it's it's <laughs> it's really useful to see what's happening across the industry. If you just go to like an Apple or a Samsung event, of course, Apple doesn't invite me to their events, but whatever. Right. Uh, you know, you sort of miss what's going on. And I think it is, it's interesting to see how Apple's position here and they, they look a lot worse than they did two weeks ago, just because, you know, the, their whole, st- if people get used to saying, you know, Hey, 
personal assistant name here, turn on the lights. <laughs> and you can only do that on two or three Apple devices and 50 other Amazon devices in your home. That's an issue. Right. Um, yeah. You know, so, yeah. I, I, I mean, I think it is interesting and it is worth noting that like, I mean, you're right. I mean, most, you know, if you go to like the big conferences, it's mostly the, the big companies, you know, CES to their credit has done a lot to really bring in a lot, a lot of smaller companies. It's the whole sort of Eureka Park, which I think had 800 different startups. Easily. Um, Some of the neatest stuff was there. It's, you know, I think people, it's also worth noting, there's a lot of neat stuff. I mean, I, I played table tennis with a robot Thursday afternoon. <laughs> right. And, and oh, the so nice thing. T- taking jobs away from good old tennis right. table players. Yeah, you know, my <laughs> wife plays tennis. I need her to play against this thing. Apparently, it was go. this <laughs> Japanese industrial robotics company called Omron. And they, they uh-huh. built this to show, like, look, this is what we can do. And the robot was programmed to sort of set, get a sense of your skill level and play against oh, you on that level. So, oh, you know. Interesting. It's compensating for inadequacies, and it was cool, right. you know. And it was I, I felt better for not having gotten crushed by this thing. <laughs> um, you know, little thing. You know, there, there are lots of good use cases of technology. Like this is another one I want to talk about. I don't know if you saw Aflac <laughs> has this little toy robot duck, which they had an outside company make for cancer patients, kids with okay. cancer. And it is, you know, you can sort of the kid with cancer, and a, a friend of mine is just getting through this now he's fine mm-hmm. but yeah the kid can sort of cuddle the duck you can pretend to get the duck chemo it has its own like port huh. and sort of like you know get through this painful and isolating experience and so that's a good use of technology and so yeah. I, I hope that people are the tech industry remembers to focus on this and not just on let's sell stuff that people don't actually need like 8k tvs or that that Bitcoin miner that was in Kodak's booth, which is solving a problem most people don't have. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No. I mean, I, there, there's definitely interesting things, and I do think it's good that you could, you know, there is an opportunity to see it there. There's just so much to see um, that it's it's sometimes some of that stuff gets lost. But but yeah, certainly, um, you know, I think that that is good, and you know, I mean. There was definitely. I'm just trying to like think of all the other stuff. There was a lot of stuff on like 3D printing and VR yep. and AR. Augmented um, reality, I think, has got a feature for customers. VR. Mm, the thinking of the potential customer base of people who want to have a computer strapped to their face. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's it's been interesting. Like VR, it just feels like it's one of those things that people have talked about for so long, and we just haven't yet seen any. You know any real sort of killer app, you know, uh, there's certainly some... There, there was a company demoing apps, VR but... porn. I did not have a chance to partake <laughs> of it. I cannot speak to that. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, everyone says it's it's neat and the technology is getting better and there's some cool aspects to it, but it just doesn't feel like it's really caught on in any way. AR stuff seems like it could be a lot more compelling and there's obviously, you know, industrial applications for it that could be really interesting. Yeah, flipping through the manual or, or if, like, you're, if you're a doctor or whatever. Right. Right. There, there's a whole bunch of stuff. And, um, you know, so, you know, that stuff is coming, but it still feels like, you know, maybe a little bit further out before that's, that's you know, realistic or interesting. But maybe that's, you know, maybe that's the story of next year's CES or something like that. Right. Yeah. So, well, we shall see. You can certainly count on me being there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I will probably be there as well, which which means that uh, probably we will have a similar podcast for the 2019 CES. I'm serving a life sentence at the show. <laughs> Um, and and maybe miraculously they'll have solved the the uh, traffic problems. And if they then could get the Wi-Fi to... to work too, that would be awesome. <laughs> 
Well, right now they should focus on keeping the lights on. So. <laughs> okay, let's start at the bottom of the hierarchy of human needs. Yeah. Somebody was telling me, I was, I was actually on one of the shuttle buses to the Las Vegas Convention Center when the lights were out. So I actually was not in there when it all happened. By the time I got there, the lights were back on and they were letting people back in. Um, but somebody was saying that they were amazed. They expected when the lights all went out that, like, you know, spotlights would automatically come on and there would be sort of, you know, the, you know, when 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 lights go out, you know, especially in big places like that, you expect there to be sort of emergency procedures in place. But there was just nothing. <laughs> and <laughs> like no, no. One, well, I guess the fact that there was no people didn't stampede themselves to death means there there's right. there's hope there's for hope. us <laughs> confused, low resolution, analog, but self organizing human beings. Yeah, they said people were actually, you know, pretty, pretty, you know, people would joke about it and people were nice. And, um, you know, the the worst situation was apparently there were, I didn't see these, but there were, there were little like uh, lockers that you could charge your phone in. You could put your oh, phone yeah, in right. and, and <laughs> so charge So your them. phone was not getting charged and was stuck. And was stuck and you couldn't get it out because it was powered off and you couldn't punch in your code to get out the code, the phone. And then they were, you know, telling people everyone had to leave the building once after the power went out. So people were freaking out because not only did they not have their phones with them, which is just already makes people nervous. They were, you know, leaving them locked in something they might not be able to get back to. And they couldn't, you know, they couldn't get them out because the electricity wouldn't let them. <laughs> open the door so people apparently were a little freaked out about that but uh that should just teach people to make sure they carry extra batteries on themselves i know i know <laughs> best practices yes but anyways <laughs> rob um thank you again um you want to tell people where they can find all your coverage and you betcha my regular clients are yahoo finance usa today uh that's right for Wirecutter. You can see me at Consumer Reports, random other places. On Twitter, I'm at Rob Pegorero, R-O-B-P-E-G-O-R-A-R-O. And that, that handle finds me at most social networks. Although I, I haven't logged into <laughs> Snapchat in a while. Don't tell anyone. Yeah, I, I kind of give up on Snapchat too. Even though I, I still I, – I actually like the concept. Uh, I did, we did a whole podcast kind of talking about why, why I like Snapchat and then – then it just wasn't working on my phone, and I just kind of gave up on it. <laughs> yeah, I know the feeling. But yeah. Anyway, uh, Rob, again, I appreciate it. Thanks for taking the time. Thanks for uh, waking up from your thirty-six hour <laughs> post CES nap. Had to happen eventually. <laughs> to to join the podcast, and uh, we'll we'll do this again next year. All right. Thanks, Mike. All right. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Someone will get hurt to grab a shovel and dig up the tent.